Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. Uh, Sound familiar to some of us? Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. We will actually pick up at the very end of what is covered in Genesis. (laughs) That's not how that's supposed to look. Throw it at me. Nope. All right, that's better. Where were we? <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. And uh, this comes at the end of Genesis chapter 1, where we have, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it goes through, and there was evening and there was morning, the first day, the second day. And what we get here is at the end of the seventh day. And then we kind of pick up from there. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again, for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for all that you have made and the ways that you have made everything that you have. God, we thank you that you have made everything uh, with purpose and with intentionality. And Lord, when we think, uh, you know, like the psalmist says in Psalm 8, as we think about all that you have made, it is mind-blowing that you think about us, that you care for us the way that you do. So, God, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for giving us what we need. And, Lord, we thank you for giving us the gift of your word. And we ask that you would help us not to take this gift for granted. Lord, help us to read it, to hear it read, to think about what you are saying, about who you are and who we are, how we are to relate to you and to each other and to the whole world. Lord, I pray that you would continue to shape us by your word more than we are being shaped by any other words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 17 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. 
The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Turning into our New Testament lesson. In 1 John, it's the way that John ends this letter. 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. As I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are, the ch- that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> well, this past Wednesday night, uh, as our, part of our kickoff for uh, the seven weeks in the Gospels, we watched one of my all-time favorite clips from the What's in the Bible with Buck Denver series. Um, I don't know how much you follow the world of cartoons and puppetry when telling the Bible story, but, you know, some of us dabble. Um, This one clip, though, is really good at explaining how Jesus uh, demonstrated the kingdom of God and what it was like. And so he uh, goes through and, you know, there's going to be no more hunger. Bam, he feeds 5,000 people, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the characters asks, you know, when it talks about him dying, you know, how's that then good news. And, uh, and there's a lot that goes into that one. <laughs> then, and that's part of what we've been talking about the last several weeks. Well, then uh, Phil Vischer, who's the host of this uh, show, says, you know, it's good news because he didn't stay dead. And he talks about Jesus rising from the dead again. And this character says, that's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. And Phil says, that's what we celebrate every Sunday. And I love that line. (laughs) That is actually the reason why Christians gather for worship on Sundays is because of the resurrection of Jesus on a Sunday. As a part of this, you know, the week starts on uh, Sunday. That's day one and goes through day seven, which is uh, Saturday. And so Jesus being raised from the dead on the first day of the week is that day one of the new creation. This is what we gather and we celebrate. The reason I bring this up is so we don't lose sight of that for one thing ever, but especially for today, because today 
we're not quite going to get there. Today, we're going to look at a part we normally like to skip over. Um, It is pretty common for Christians to talk about the cross. It's pretty common for Christians to talk about the resurrection. But there's actually something that takes place in between, and we're going to spend some time today talking about that. This is uh, John 19, verses 38 through 42. Um, It's one of those things that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all cover. And yet we want to skip it, and they thought it was important. Here we go. This is John 19, 38 to 42. This is right after uh, Jesus has died on the cross. And it says, verse 38, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who, had, who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the, with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. And that's where we're going to end. This is why we had to start with the spoiler, that he doesn't stay dead. Because for today, what we're talking about is what happens while he's dead, before the resurrection. And if you think about it, there was this whole period of time where Jesus had died, but had not yet raised again. And so that's what we're looking at uh, this morning, and particularly with people like Joseph and Nicodemus. Joseph and Nicodemus, we learn from other Gospels, are, well, Joseph, we do. Uh, These are religious leaders, members of the Sanhedrin. Both of them, it appears, liked the idea of following Jesus but not enough to actually follow him publicly. Um, In fact, in John 12, he tells us this was the case for quite a few people. That uh, It says, John 12, uh, verse 42 and 43, Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him, But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. That's not uncommon. But that's where many of the uh, leaders were at the time. And if you see then the way that everything played out, you see whose voices were louder when it came time to figure out what we're going to do with this Jesus of Nazareth. And so he goes to the cross. But what I want to look at now is why in the world these guys are doing what they're doing. Because they have not been willing to follow Jesus publicly throughout his life. Nicodemus comes to him at night, presumably, so people don't see him talking with Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea 
It says he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. Well, okay, if that's the case, then why do anything now? This seems like the worst possible time to do anything, right? I mean, if you put yourself back in uh, on that Saturday, before Jesus is raised again, Jesus had talked about they're going to, you know, when we get to Jerusalem, they're going, they're going to torture me. They're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me. They're going to hang me on a cross. I'm going to be killed, but I will rise again on the third day. And every time he started talking like that, the disciples were like, nah, don't talk like that. That's not going to happen. We're just not even going to worry about that part. Well, then it happens, and it seems like they have forgotten all of it. And so everybody has scattered. Remember, Jesus did not die on the cross uh, in a way that made people in that moment rejoice and celebrate. Our sins have been paid for. Forgiveness has been achieved. When Jesus dies on the cross, he is being executed as a criminal. He's being executed as a criminal against the state of Rome, but whose death has been called for by the Jewish leaders. So it's like he's doubly guilty in the eyes of both the Jews and the Romans. When you associate yourself with that at this point, there's no upside. So why did they do it? Why? One more, kind of put us back in that mindset. This is Luke 24. Luke 24 is on uh, Easter Sunday when Jesus has raised from the dead, but many people haven't heard yet. They don't know it. They're still in that Saturday mindset. And so I think this is a good indication of where people were that Saturday. This is Luke 24 in uh, verse uh, 20 and 21. As they're explaining to Jesus, but they don't recognize him, these two guys who are walking on the road to Emmaus, they're explaining to Jesus what's been going on. And they said, you know, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. And then they say, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Do you hear that? We had hoped that he was the one, but he's dead. We lost. (laughs) Game over. They don't say at this point, we're still hoping that maybe he's the one. It's no, we had hoped, and that hope has died with him. This is where people were on that Saturday uh, and Friday, I guess, when they're actually taking Jesus down from the cross and getting him buried. But again, the question is why? And we don't know. But I'll tell you, uh, when it says that this was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs, and that gives us some insight, that, Jew, that Joseph and Nicodemus both were people who cared about doing what was right. They cared about doing what had been passed down by tradition. This is how you are to treat people. They had cared about Jesus. 
Yes, they had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, but even if he wasn't, they still cared about him as a person. And so whether somebody was going to be was the Messiah, whether somebody was just a you know, good teacher, or whether somebody was a criminal of the state, they said, this man deserves a decent burial. This man is going to get a decent burial in accordance with our customs because they cared about him. And at this point, they are caring about him and doing what's right, even if nobody else is caring. And even if doing this is sticking their own necks out by associating them with somebody everybody saw as a criminal. It seems like a strange time for them to do that. But there they are. The other question, of course, we have is why is this happening at all? And I think we're clued into why this is happening when John tells us that at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. This is not the first time a garden has shown up in the Bible. Jesus had actually been in a garden not too long before this. As he goes to the garden of Gethsemane to pray with his disciples. And this is where he says, you know, not my will, but yours be done. But that's not the first time gardens show up either. We just read from Genesis chapter 2. Do you remember? That God takes the man and he places him in a garden. And he gives him things to do and he has provided everything for him that he needs. And he says, you may eat from any tree in the garden. Except one. I mean, how limiting is that? That's not very limiting at all, is it? If he'd said you can only eat from this one tree, that'd be quite limiting. But he says you can eat from any of them, just not this one. And you know the way the rest of the story goes. They do exactly what they're not supposed to do, and so death enters the world. Sin and death and this rejection of God and the breakdown of the relationship between all humanity and God, all humanity and each other, and all humanity and all creation. It all breaks down. And the rest of the story is, how does that get fixed? How does that get fixed? Well, that's Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 3, which is actually where that, <laughs> that all breaks down, in Genesis chapter 3, we get the first hints of how that's going to go. Still in the garden. And God says as a part of the curse that is coming, he also says, uh, speaking to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That was said in the garden. I think this is what John is trying to call us back to when Jesus is placed in the garden. We have Adam placed in the garden at the beginning, and everything went horribly wrong. But now we have Jesus being placed in the garden because this is that moment 
where he has been struck that mortal blow by the serpent. But he's also crushed the head. This is that moment of victory over sin and death and evil. And that people who have been held in slavery all their lives by their fear of death would be set free, according to Hebrews. This is the victory that is taking place, but it sure doesn't look like victory. And so that brings us to the third part. And that is, how do these two go together? Where you have, on the one hand, you have Joseph and Nicodemus who are living living out their, their faith in God by doing the things they believe they need to be doing, caring for this man even after he's dead, even after it looks like he is in no way who we thought he was, still caring for him. Even though no one is going to applaud our efforts, <laughs> still caring for him. But they do this in this hopeless environment. On the other hand, you have what's going on behind the scenes, which if you know the rest of the story, <laughs> that this is not hopeless at all. That this is the moment in which God has actually decisively won the battle, won the war. He's won the victory over sin and death. But it looks like defeat and it looks like hopelessness. And so the question is, how do these two go together? And I think that that's where we come in because that's where we live a lot of our days. The days where everything looks hopeless because it's still Friday. Maybe it's Saturday, but it's not Sunday yet. And so uh, we find ourselves thinking things like, well, maybe, maybe God isn't there after all. Or maybe if he is there, he doesn't care after all. Because if he were there, or if he did care, this wouldn't be happening. You ever been there? But what do you do in those moments? Because that makes a lot of difference. There is a... uh, part in the book, The Screwtape Letters, which I left my paper down there. Andrew, can you hand me that? Just give me the whole, I'll just grab it. (laughs) In The Screwtape Letters, sorry, I got wadded up. In The Screwtape Letters, which is one of the hardest books to ever quote for, quote quote from, um, because it's written as one demon giving advice to another demon. And so everything is kind of backwards in what is good and bad and all that. But in this, uh, one of the demons says, Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. I'm going to read that one more time. It says, Do not be deceived, Wormwood. 
Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Here's the point. It's easy sometimes to obey and to follow when, it, when the carrot <laughs> is right there in front of us. And it's like, oh, if I do this, then I get that, and great, the reward is right there. I'll take that next step. Sure, no problem. But what if we can't see the carrot? What if we don't even see any possibility of any future carrots? <laughs> and he says, it's when people are in that position where they cannot see the presence of God in their midst. They cannot feel that God is with them in that moment when every trace of God in their lives seems to have vanished. And they don't know why. It says if a person in that situation continues to obey, we're sunk as demons. <laughs> like, what, what else are we going to do at that point? This is what Nicodemus is doing. This is what Joseph of Arimathea is doing. They have no reason to be doing what's right except that it's right to do it. They have no reason to care about Jesus who has died as a criminal except because they, except that God has told them to care about people. There is going to be no earthly reward for sticking their necks out like this publicly. But apparently at this point, they're not seeking earthly rewards. At this point, they're caring for Jesus just because somebody needs to care for Jesus. So when we find ourselves in a similar position, when we are living through those days where all trace of God seems to be absent, the question is, what do we do? <laughs> and I think a very helpful thing to do is remember stories like this. Remember that there have been plenty of times before when all hope seemed lost. And there was a lot more going on behind the scenes. These men were hours away from seeing the resurrection of the Messiah. But they had no idea. We never know what's right around the corner. We never know what's right around the corner. But what we do know is that God has made promises to us to be with us always, whether it feels like it or not. He has made promises to lead us in the right ways, whether those look like the right ways in the moment or not. He alone is trustworthy. He alone knows what is truly right. So whether you're facing a day like that today or whether that will come years from now, we face these days. And in that moment, remember, 
keep on keeping on. To carry forward with doing what is right just because it's right. Just because you still believe that God is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he will do, and that he is leading you in the right way. I will tell you, that's not easy. It's really not easy. And that's one of the reasons we need each other as well. Because one of the great things about the body, about the church, is that though we may all hit those days, we don't all hit them at the same time. And so when one of us is going through it, we can lean on each other. We can help each other uh, through those moments, reminding us why we do what we do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. We thank you for all that you have made. And we do thank you for your word that you have given to us. God, we ask that you would help us to remember. We are so easily forgetful. Help us to remember. Help us to remember why we do what we do. Help us to do what we do for the right reasons. Lord, we pray that you'd help us not to be afraid of um, of human opinion or seek after human approval. But God, help us to live uh, with you in everything. Seeking to do your will above all else. Knowing that your way is best, that your way is right. That your way is good, both for us and for the world even in times when we can't see it. God, as faithless people, we pray that you would help us to be faithful. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.